Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. I hope you all had a lovely Thanksgiving and Hanukkah. I myself had an excellent Thanksgiving trip up to Denver and then a lovely Friendsgiving, and I am looking forward to spending some more time with friends and family over the next month or so. Let's get started. This time we are talking about The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by V.E. Schwab. Here is the summary. France, 1714. In a moment of desperation, a young woman makes a Faustian bargain to live forever and is cursed to be forgotten by everyone she meets. Thus begins the extraordinary life of Addie LaRue, and a dazzling adventure that will play out across centuries and continents, across history and art, as a young woman learns how far she will go to leave her mark on the world. But everything changes when, after nearly 300 years, Addie stumbles across a young man in a hidden bookstore, and he remembers her name. This book was published in 2020. I read it in October of 2021. Our author, V.E. Schwab, was born in 1987. Her first book was published in 2013, and she's been published consistently since then. She also publishes young adult and children's books under the name Victoria Schwab. There are some stories you want more of because you want to bask in the world and the story forever. The experience is so wonderful that you want to live there for days. And there are some stories you want more from, because reading them is like looking through a foggy window out at a beautiful landscape. There's something out there, if only you could see it. I wanted more from this book. Not for it to be longer, it's 450 pages, but for it to explore more possibilities or for more stuff to happen. It's never good when you read a book and the whole time you're just thinking how much better it would be if it was completely different. I would call this a character-driven story, which means it focuses more on character development than on events happening. I like character-driven stories. I've talked about a few on this podcast, like Wayfarers and Mrs. Dalloway. The problem with this book is that I didn't especially like the characters. Now, a character doesn't have to be good or perfect to be interesting or compelling, I have liked plenty of problematic characters in my time, and I liked the idea of these characters. It was just that the final product sort of fell flat for me. And even though this is a character-driven story, I didn't feel like our main character, Addie, really changed all that much. Maybe that's just because of the way it was written but she seemed almost exactly the same from 1714 to 2014. 
Now, the writing itself is flowery and poetic. Schwab spends a lot of time romanticizing every possible moment. This style fits with the plot and the story she's telling, and more than that, she keeps a consistent tone and style through the whole book, which I do appreciate. I have some content warnings for this book for drug use, specifically like mixing prescription drugs with alcohol in a dangerous way. Also, consent issues in sexual relationships, sex work, and a character briefly considers suicide. We have two timelines in this book. We follow Addie LaRue in 2014 New York City and Addie LaRue in the 1700s and beyond. This is done so that Schwab can gradually reveal how Addie became the way she is, but I'm not sure it added any meaningful suspense or mystery. And this may simply be a matter of personal preference. I do like more linear stories. Instead, we have Addie in 2014 do something and think, oh, it was so difficult to learn how to do that. And then three chapters later, when we're in the past again, we see her struggle because she doesn't have those skills yet. I kept thinking that it would have been better for us to simply follow Addie on her journey as she gradually realizes the depth and breadth of her curse. But I'm getting ahead of myself. As Addie walks the streets of New York City in 2014, forgotten by people as soon as they look away, stealing food and clothes to survive, her story unfolds. She was born in a small village in France in 1688. Addie has seven freckles, longs for adventure, hates corsets, and doesn't want to get married or have children. All the men in her town are boring or unattractive, and when her peers get married, she comments on how lifeless they seem now. In short, Addie has what's called not-like-the-other-girls syndrome. She's not like the other girls. She's special and different. An essential part of this is looking down on other women, especially women who want quote-unquote traditional feminine things like getting married or having children or running a household or sewing. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it is a new pet peeve of mine, so you get to hear about it. Corsets are not torture devices. They were, in fact, comfortable to wear and provided support. Addie, born in 1688, would have found corsets to be a normal, unremarkable piece of clothing. I'm getting a little tired of books and TV shows and movies using corsets as a shorthand for women feeling trapped. Find something else to use. Luckily for me, corset hating is not all that Addie is. Addie longs to see the rest of the world, to experience a life unfettered by expectation. And if she can't have that, she wants to be a woman alone, 
like Estelle in her village, a woman who lives alone and prays to the old gods, not the new Christian god. Addie begins to pray to the old gods too, and Estelle warns her never to pray after dark. You can maybe see where this is going. But like I said, I do like this concept of a character, someone who wants to see and experience more of the world and seeks out old gods in nature. It's just that combined with everything else, Addie falls flat for me. So Addie's parents arrange a marriage for her, and she hates the idea of her life being completely laid out, that she'll be born and buried on the same plot of land. Addie prays and prays and makes offerings. She's had luck with suitors going away before, but nothing answers her. Desperate, she runs away from her wedding, and in the woods, as darkness descends, she prays one last time. And finally, something answers. If you've never read a story with genies or demon deals, what you need to know is, one, you shouldn't be making deals with your soul, and two, if you do, be very careful what you ask for. The classic example of this kind of story is the monkey's paw story, which I will put a link to a version of that in the show notes as well. But the gist of it is a father wishes for $200 and receives it as recompense for his child's death. And Addie is not careful. She is desperate. These are the kinds of deals only the desperate and the thoughtless make. Addie wishes to have time and to belong to no one. And in return, the god in the darkness can have her soul when she's done with it. Her wish is granted. Addie will never age past 23, and she's free from expectation. No one remembers her. As soon as she's out of sight, she's forgotten, completely wiped from their memories. Now she belongs only to herself. Alone, her whole family and village having forgotten that she exists, Addie has no choice but to set out into the world. Her early days are fraught with struggle and danger and pain. She doesn't know the exact shape of her bargain, but over time, she figures out what she can and cannot do. She cannot light a building on fire, but she can move a plant from one place to another so a tree will grow in a specific spot. She has to learn how to lie and steal to survive. In Paris in the 1700s, as a woman alone, basically the only thing she can do for money is sex work. Addie only results to that when she's desperate, and frankly, if you're a sex worker, it's safer to have a place to go and people you can rely on. But Addie has to do everything herself. Even if she meets someone and they have a connection, maybe spend the night together, when that person wakes up, they've forgotten who she is. Addie's only constant is the dark god she made a deal with. 
he takes the form of a man named Luke and visits her every so often to see if she's tired of her life and ready to give up her soul. Addie hates him. She feels tricked into selling her soul for a life of being forgotten. Which, I gotta say, you were warned many times. You knew it was a bad idea. But she also longs to see him. He's the only being who remembers her, who knows who she is. Over and over, Addie tells Luke that she's not done with her life yet. Part of her determination to hang on to life is out of spite, which I respect. She doesn't want Luke to win. But the other reason she sticks around is that she finds beauty in the world and is constantly discovering new wonderful things. She romanticizes her life, sees the best in everything, and it's literally helping her stay alive. And I like this part, too. There's joy to be found in looking at the world and searching for beauty in every moment. Over time, Addie's battle with Luke becomes more of a game. They're each other's longest relationship. No one else knows Addie thanks to her deal with Luke. And no one knows Luke because he only interacts with people to make a deal, then to collect their soul later. They go to opulent restaurants, and over a five-course meal, he asks if she's done with her life yet. They run into each other in a speakeasy and dance. In around the 1960s, they start an affair. It lasts for a while, for decades. They both have so much time. But eventually, Addie figures out that it's just another ploy in their game. He's hoping to romance her into giving up her soul. She's furious and leaves, refusing to see him again. Interspersed with this is Addie's life in New York City in 2014. It's been 300 years since she made her bargain. We see how someone unable to be remembered to make a home or lasting connections has survived. She still feels hunger and pain, still has to sleep. She can't exactly get a job to make money, so to survive, she steals. And she's gotten pretty good at it over the last 300 years. Though she's still searching for someone who can remember her, Addie has learned to be content in her life. She can't plan for the future. Even when she makes a hidden home for herself, it falls to disaster, burning down, or claimed by someone else. But she finds a way to make a mark on the world anyway, and she does it through other people. Addie meets artists and spends days and weeks meeting them over and over and talking with them, and though they forget her after she walks away, she's able to leave small ideas, small marks on the world, like lines in a song or a figure in a painting. And for the most part, she's at peace with who she is and what her life is like. One day, someone does remember her. His name is Henry. He works in a bookstore. He isn't sure what he's doing with his life, which is hashtag relatable. He feels overwhelmed with the choices he has, and he kind of wants to disappear. He's nearly the opposite of Addie at the beginning, 
She wanted more options in life, and Henry feels like he has too many. Henry loves too much and drinks too much and somehow makes enough money in his retail job to rent an apartment all by himself in New York City. Which was so mind-bogglingly unrealistic to me. I looked it up, and the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment in New York in late 2014 was $3,000 a month. Just how much is this secondhand bookstore paying him? Is it a front for the mob? What's going on? Unfortunately for me as a reader, all Henry's personal problems, because the man clearly has no financial problems, are fixed when he falls in love with Addie. (sighs) Now that is a slight simplification of what happens. Henry meets Addie, and she's not like all the other girls he's ever known. She really reaches out and embraces life and sees such wonderful things in the world around her. And once they start dating, he feels content with his life, and he stops dangerously mixing prescription medication with alcohol, because now he's got Addie. Schwab tries to have them argue a few times and show them, like, working on their relationship, but the only thing we really see them have, like, a big fight about is the fact that Addie steals. And Henry's reaction to this is, well, it's morally wrong to steal, and Addie, you should just let me pay for everything. Like, first off, making someone completely dependent on you is a red flag. Don't do that, if at all possible. Second, how else would she eat, Henry? She can't have a job, Henry. She can't exactly collect a paycheck, Henry. She doesn't have a forwarding address. Look, neither of Addie's relationships are good. At least when she was dating the darkness, they were both the only person in the other's life. But of course, there are many other problems with that relationship. But I'm supposed to like the relationship she has with Henry because, hey, at least they're both humans. What they have is real. But Henry has a whole life, has family and friends, and Addie has Henry. And that's it. Because everyone else immediately forgets who she is. Anyway, the reason Henry can remember Addie is that he made a deal with Luke, the god of darkness, too. Henry wanted to be loved. Luke grants his wish. Now anyone who sees Henry sees what they most want in a person, whether that's a romantic partner, a best friend, a long-lost child, or, like, the perfect customer. Or, if you're Addie, someone who remembers her. I personally hate Henry's deal because he basically brainwashes everyone around him and then sometimes sleeps with them. And Addie watches him brainwashing people and thinks to herself, someone else might be jealous of all the attention Henry gets, but I think he's neat while he's brainwashing people. In another relationship situation, I would like that Addie isn't jealous of the attention Henry gets. But this is not a normal situation. 
It takes someone else pointing it out for Henry to think, oh yeah, maybe it is messed up that I brainwash people and then sleep with them. Which is an oversimplification and not exactly what happens, but it's close enough that it was infuriating. Hopefully you can maybe see why I don't like these characters very much. Unlike Addie, Henry does not have all the time in the world. In fact, his time is running out. He has less than a year left before Luke comes and collects his soul. Addie, once she finds out, is desperate to save Henry's life because she's in love with him or whatever. And she does what she swore she would never do. She contacts Luke and attempts to convince him to let Henry out of his deal. Luke refuses. I mean, why would he let go of a soul just because Addie asks? Henry knew the deal he was making. Then Addie offers to make another deal with Luke. And there's been this tension with Addie and Luke. Obviously, they're attracted to each other. They were having an affair. But they're also the only person who knows the other. And they've known each other for 300 years. And Luke is obsessed with possessing Addie in some way. Because she's kept her soul away from him for 300 years. So Addie offers to be with Luke again until he doesn't want her around anymore. Luke takes the deal, and in return, Henry is freed from his deal and has a regular lifespan ahead of him. And this is basically the end. Addie is back with Luke, the creature of darkness, and she's determined to wear him down so that he'll break up with her so that she can continue with her immortal, invisible life. And Schwab touches on something interesting here at the end. Addie wonders if she's still human, or if her long life has changed her so much that she has more in common with something like Luke than with someone like Henry. I wish it had been explored more, Addie is very old now, and yes, she steals things to survive, but she still seems very human to me. And more than that, like I said at the beginning, Addie seems almost exactly the same as she has been for 300 years. And I think part of that is the jumping back and forth between the present and the past that the book did. I'm pushing for the linear timeline. It's too late for this book but I'm still thinking about it. My final thoughts on the invisible life of Addie LaRue. Like I said at the beginning, I wanted more out of this. I wanted more speculation on souls and why Luke made bargains or what he did with the souls. We see him collect two souls, and those are very different experiences. I kind of wanted to see Addie actually descend into being otherworldly like Luke turning into a fickle muse or a trickster spirit? And even if we didn't go down the otherworldly route, why didn't we see more of what Addie lived through? Like the times when she went mad, or when she was spying in World War II? Did she ever travel somewhere besides Europe, New Orleans, and New York City? I don't know. I know a lot of people really enjoyed this book. They love the style and the story, and I'm very happy for them. That was not my experience. My experience 
to quote the witcher, was like ordering a pie and finding it had no filling. If you want media similar to this, I don't actually read a lot in this genre. There is the movie The Age of Adeline, which is about an immortal woman named Adeline. Also pretty different generally, but I just finished it, and I think you should try the Spirit Walker trilogy by Kate Elliott. It's very good. The first book is called Cold Magic. You can check the show notes for articles about, not like the other girls, monkey's paw stories and what TV and movies get wrong about corsets. Once again, I don't know what I'm going to talk about next time. I have read a lot, but I have no scripts written. It'll be a nice surprise for you and for me. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. Comments, questions, you can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. The music is by Joseph McDade, and you can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon. 